Well, good evening again. So glad to see you, those of you here in person, those of you joining us via the live stream. We're grateful to be able to carve out some time together on Christmas Eve and just spend some time worshiping the Lord in song, worshiping the Lord in prayer, uh, spending time now looking at His Word together. And this evening, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start with verse 1. I'm going to read down to verse 20, and then we're going to revisit some of the sections from Luke chapter 2 that I'll be reading here. But tonight we're going to be talking about this idea that we can let Jesus give us the peace that our heart craves. Every one of us, doesn't matter what age you are, doesn't matter what season of life you're you're at, it doesn't matter where you grew up or where you currently live, it doesn't matter whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us via our live stream, each and every one of us, we crave peace. By nature, we crave peace. And many people spend their lives seeking peace, but not exactly finding where it actually finds its source. But when you look at what the Scripture teaches us, so the Scripture we're looking at tonight and some of the related Scriptures that we'll also visit, we're shown from Scripture that Christ is the source of peace that our hearts crave. And so if you would, uh, this evening we're going to begin by reading together Luke chapter 2. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, this will be on page 857 if you're using the the Bibles in the the chairs there. And in Luke chapter 2, I'm going to start with verse 1, and and I'm going to read for us down to verse 20. This is what it says. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for giving us this evening that we can spend some time together now, again, looking at your word and ultimately reflecting on why we're even gathered here in the first place. Father, we do so to celebrate the incarnation of your Son, Jesus Christ, 
as he came to this earth and took on flesh and walked among us. Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to be able to celebrate this evening. We're grateful for every song we can sing and every, every person we have the privilege to greet. And just what a special time this is, Lord, where we can just pause from our normal routine and ultimately celebrate who you are and what you've done on our behalf. So, Lord, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts, and, and we pray that you'd help us to, to ultimately reflect on who you are and what you've done as we celebrate the incarnation of your Son this evening. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in the, the summer of 1965, television executives, they approached Charles Schultz. I don't know if you know who Charles Schultz is. Maybe most of you do. Maybe some of you don't. But Charles Schultz, he was the creator of the comic strip Peanuts that had been running for 15 years at that point in newspapers all throughout the United States. And television executives, they approached Schultz about the idea of possibly writing and drawing and animating a Peanuts Christmas special in just six months. So they wanted it to be ready for that Christmas. So this was the summer when they were approaching him about the idea. And he liked the idea. He agreed to the idea. And Schultz and his team, they finished the special, get this, just a week and a half before the broadcast date. That's, you know, that's kind of like how I went through college, right? You know, it's like five minutes before anything was due, it got turned in, right? Well, here, you know, just a week and a half before the broadcast date, Schultz and his team, they finished up producing the Charlie Brown, the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And when the TV executives, I don't know if you know this part, when the TV executives actually happened to see this, they saw the drawings, they saw, you know, just the animation, they, saw the, they listened to the music, they, they saw the story, the whole thing, they were terrified because they thought this thing was going to be, in their words, an unmitigated disaster. They thought it was going to be an utter disaster. And uh, the executives actually said that if they could have canceled the program, they would have canceled it, but because he turned it into them so close to the broadcast date and the TV guides had gone out and the advertising had already been issued, they felt stuck. And so they decided, we're going to air this thing. Thankfully, it's not super long, but this is definitely going to be one and done. This thing is going to be an unmitigated disaster. And so on December 9th, 1965, an estimated 15.5 million homes tuned in to watch a Charlie Brown Christmas and it's aired every December since. Every December since. And it's interesting, for years, my, my mother, even, even into my adult life, would call me up and tell me when it was going to be on. She's like, hey, it's going to be on. It's going to be on tonight. Make sure you tune in. It's going to be on. And I, I didn't have the heart to tell her, mom, we own it on DVD. We could literally watch it any time of the year. But she would always call. She'd always tell it, hey, it's going to be on. It's going to be on. And basically, and I'm sure most of us have seen it. If you haven't seen it, make sure you check it out. But you have a very simple storyline in that program. And I think that that's probably what makes it so endearing. It's just a very simple storyline. You have Charlie Brown searching for the true meaning of Christmas. And then the crescendo of the show happens when you have Linus actually reading the scripture I just read. That's the crescendo of the show, when Linus reads the verses that I just read. But I want you to think about something else, even as we kind of meditate on the verses that I read just a moment ago. And I'm going to share a few things about those verses as we uh, go through our, our time together this evening. But because of that special, which has been running continuously since 1965 in front of millions and millions and millions of adults and millions and millions of children, it's very likely that Luke chapter 
2, the portion of Scripture that I just read from, is the most heard Scripture in the entire Bible. You ever think about that? Because of the reach of that program, it's very likely that that is the most heard Scripture in the entire Bible because of that show. It's the most widely broadcast portion of Scripture in television history. And again, for more than five decades, that's been the case. Millions have heard it. Now, about 12 years ago, our family, we kind of put our thinking caps on and we decided that we wanted to put a little extra thought into how we were celebrating Christmas Day together. And so we kind of carved out how our day is set up. The day involves some really good food. We always make sure to watch a few movies together and do things like that. We play some specific board games that we tend to enjoy. We keep a fire going in the fireplace most, if not all, of the day, although I'm wondering as I look at the weather tomorrow if I'm really going to want a fire going because it's this, like, spring spell we're having here. And remember a few years ago when it was in the 70s on Christmas? And I thought, what is this? We tried the fire that year as well for, like, a little bit, and everybody was sweating, and we're thinking, all right, some traditions can wait. You know, that tradition can wait. Uh, So we pause that. But before we do any of the things that we do that day, the good food, anything else, we actually sit down as a family and we reread Luke chapter 2, what we just read together. We actually open up our Bible and sit down and we read together before we dig into anything else. And Luke chapter 2 is a fascinating portion of God's Word. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, and again, we just looked at it a few moments ago, but we're given a glimpse of some of the key elements of God's redemptive plan for humanity. And in this passage, think about some of the things that are shown to us here. We actually see the fulfillment of ancient prophecies, and we see the confirmation of God's hand at work through divinely orchestrated signs, and we see the sovereign oversight that God has over humanity, and we see the incarnation of the Son of God in the birth of Jesus Christ. And as the Old Testament Scriptures had promised, so when you look throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, they had been promising that something was going to happen, specifically that the Messiah would come in the lineage of David and would be miraculously born of a virgin. His birth was heralded by angels, marveled over by simple shepherds. His earthly parents were amazed at what God was doing in their midst, and they were faithful to obey God during that that amazing season of their lives, and I truly wish that in addition to some of the things that we see recorded in Scripture, I wish I could just be kind of a a fly on the wall to hear some of the conversations that Mary and Joseph and those around them would have had in the months leading up to this, and even in the months soon after this, as they marveled at what God was doing in their midst. The simplicity of what took place in the incarnation of Christ, the birth of Christ, It ministers to me. When I look at the context around it, when I see the simplicity, it wasn't flashy, it wasn't showy, it was with a lot of humility, with very simple people. And it ministers to me when I look at that simplicity. When I look at the account that we're given here in Luke chapter 2, again, that we just read together, I think about some of the things that were shown here. I see a young family that's just starting out, and they're doing their best to comply with all the challenging requirements and regulations of their government. By the way, we can identify with that, right? You know, this is a year where I find myself saying, all right, how do I comply with these challenging regulations from our government? And here you see Mary and Joseph trying to do this or trying to follow along with the different things that they're being encouraged to do, even though they're moments away from having a child. And they have to do all this traveling. They have to travel so that they can be counted for this census. I see a young couple here that doesn't have a lot of prominence. They don't have a lot of money. 
They don't have a lot of connections to make it possible for them to enjoy some sort of posh accommodations when they, when they were actually in Bethlehem. And instead, the Scripture tells us that, that ultimately they were forced by necessity to camp outside, sleeping with animals, and to give birth to Christ in a stable. And then the Scripture also tells us about shepherds. And it tells us that there were shepherds here, that they were trying, they were trying to do their best to do their job late into the evening. And their parents, if you know a little bit about what culture was like during that time, most likely their parents did not brag about their work as shepherds, because in their culture, shepherds were actually treated like second-class citizens. They were treated like they were doing a job that wasn't quite as consequential as it actually was. So, so their task was, was often unappreciated. You ever do something that you feel like it's just not appreciated, but you know it matters? Well, imagine if your whole career was spent doing that. The shepherds were doing something important, but in their culture, it was often unappreciated. People treated it like it was unappealing. People treated it like it was routine. But you have these shepherds are faithful to accomplish their task just the same. And so it was to a young couple camping outside and a group of unappreciated shepherds who didn't have the luxury of of being distracted by the finer things of this world that God miraculously spoke that evening. God miraculously speaks to these humble people in this context. And in, in some ways, I can't help but wonder if their hearts were in the perfect position to actually listen to what God is saying. Because when I think about my life, I know that it's when I'm distracted by a whole bunch of things that I don't know that I'm hearing from God very well. But when you take those distractions away, all of a sudden I find myself able to hear the voice of God much clearer. And you see this group of people, they don't have a lot of things in life to be distracted by. And they can hear what the Lord's saying. These are humble people who witnessed the birth of Christ. And as we think about this portion of Scripture, I want to ask a few really quick questions this evening, but I think they're significant questions. And one of the first questions I want to ask is this. Why does it even matter that Jesus was born? Why does it matter? I mean, we're looking at a scripture that describes it. Why does it even matter? Let me reread verses 6 and 7 of Luke chapter 2. I'll reread those for us. In those verses, it says this. It says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, And laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, I've had the privilege to be present for the birth of my four children. And um, there's a lot going on in the moments when a child is about to be born. There's a lot going on. You have mom in pain. You have dad focused and determined to help, but not really sure that there's any possible way to help. It's kind of like one of those moments, like, can I get you another cup of ice chips? I remember some of the things that I would just almost embarrassingly do to try and help my wife, realizing there literally is nothing I can do to help here other than try and be a a good coach, good moral support. You're nervous, but then after the child is born, you're you're amazed at what you've just seen. And I, I know for me, the first thing I did, you know, confirm that my wife is okay, confirm that the baby is okay each time, each time. And I, I know my wife would typically do this then. You know, she would send me over to be where the baby was. Hey, keep an eye on the baby. I'll be fine. Keep an eye on the baby. Look at the baby. You know, tell me about the baby. I still remember when our fourth child was born. She wanted to know. I saw her before, before Andrea saw her. And so, so her question to me was, very first thing she asked, it was so beautiful. She said, what does she look like? You know, she just wants to know, what does she look like? And so I'm over at the, you know, the, the little uh, 
I don't know what you call it, like just the carrier that they have there for the baby. You know, looking, looking at our daughter and describing every detail for Andrea because Andrea hasn't seen her yet. And then they bring her over to Andrea, and Andrea was just amazed at looking at the baby, and you just find your heart flooding with relief. You know, if everybody's okay, your heart just floods with relief. And you know there's a whole lifetime of work ahead of you, decades of work ahead of you. But in that quick moment, what, what do you do? You rest for a moment then? And you just express thanks. You know, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful blessing. Thank you for this wonderful child. And here in this portion of Scripture that we're looking at in Luke chapter 2, you see the birth of a baby, one of the most beautiful things that occurs. And the birth of Jesus was prophesied in the earliest chapters of the books of the Bible, particularly the earliest chapters when you look in the, the book of Genesis. And there's a story that was taking place there. When you go in those early chapters, you see people like Adam and Eve described. And what ends up happening after the Lord creates Adam and Eve in this spot of perfection, and they're created perfectly, you actually have Adam rebelling against the Lord. You have Adam sinning. And it's a very sad way in many respects for the the opening verses of Scripture, the opening chapters of Scripture to begin. You have Adam actually rebelling against God. And then Scripture reveals to us that sin is then transmitted to everyone who comes from Adam, which is all of us. But we're also told that the day was going to come when the seed of the woman would come, the seed of the woman would be sent, and the seed of the woman would crush Satan. And that's a prophecy from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And in that prophecy, we see a reference to the virgin birth of Christ who was conceived by the Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary and was therefore born without a sin nature. If you uh, have ever taken the time to study Christian theology, one of the things that you'll see as you read through Scripture and study theology is that Scripture reveals to us that God exists in three co-eternal and co-equal persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. And when Jesus Christ, who is God the Son, came to this earth and took on flesh, he came to this earth, and what we're seeing here in Luke chapter 2, we're watching him do this, he came to this earth to undo the mess that Adam created. Came to this earth to undo the problems that Adam created when he rebelled against the Lord. So Jesus was sent to this earth to undo the mess that Adam created. And think about the opposite things that Jesus did that are opposite to what Adam did. When Adam was... was uh, influenced to go in a direction that he shouldn't go, when Eve was influenced in a direction she shouldn't go, when Adam, you know, had the opportunity to rebel against the the word of the Lord or keep the word of the Lord, Adam rebelled. But then when you look at Jesus during the course of his earthly ministry, what did he do? When he was tempted, he never gave in to the temptation. So you see the opposite taking place in Jesus Christ. You have Adam rebelling against the Lord and inviting sin into his life and effectively into our lives as well, since we're descendants from Adam. But what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus came to this earth and lived a sinless life. And then being sinless, Jesus was able to offer himself as the one who could take the punishment for our sin upon himself since he was innocent of it. We also know that Jesus proved his divinity when he rose from the grave after experiencing death. And he offers complete pardon for sin and offers eternal life to anyone who will trust him for it. So it matters that Jesus was born. It matters that he took on human flesh. It matters that he came to this earth. Without his intervention in human history, we would actually remain lost in our sin. The effects of what Adam had done would still be felt among us with no remedy. And so Jesus came to this earth to remedy that. 
Here's another question for us this evening. Why don't we need to be consumed with fear? You know, first we're asking the question, okay, why did Jesus come to this earth? Well, I want to follow that up with this question. Why don't we need to be consumed with fear? Look again at Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. There it says this, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And again, notice that line in verse 10. It says, Fear not. Fear not. Now, fear is a very natural impulse that we've all experienced to one degree or another. Do you ever notice your personal response to fear? Do you ever hear people say there's like a fight or flight moment when you experience a moment of fear? Someone frightens you? You know, some of us in that moment, we fight. And some of us in that moment, we flee. And it's like an instinctive response that, that each of us have. And you know what I've experienced over the course of this year in my role as a pastor? And it's been very interesting and very challenging to observe this. But during the course of this year, so I've been a pastor for a full 23 years now, I have conducted more counseling sessions over the course of this year and taken more phone calls over the course of this year than at any other time in those 23 years of full-time pastoral ministry. And the major issue discussed in those counseling sessions and the major issue discussed in those phone calls largely came back to, to people, friends, family, church members, just wanting someone to talk to so that they could process through their fears. Because this has been a year when many of us, I think, have experienced some brand new things that certainly involve a high level of fear if we let it grip us. We want to resist that, but naturally speaking, it can be very easy to see that start to creep into our life, so we want to do something about it. And one of the most helpful things we can do is actually talk it out with somebody that's willing to listen. So I was happy to do that. But I want us to remember this based on what it says here in this portion of Scripture, because because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done, we don't need to be overcome by fear. You and I, at different seasons of our life, will experience fear. That's something that you and I deal with from time to time. And it's a very natural response, but we don't need to be overcome by it. And I want you to think about the nature of the things that you're afraid of. Our greatest fears typically have to do with one of two things. Our greatest fears typically have to do with either death or separation of some kind. Death or separation. At their core, that's what our fears typically deal with, death or separation. And Jesus has dealt with both issues. So when the shepherds came, and when they're doing what they're doing here, and they're first, they're first confronted by the angels... You can imagine they would be understandably fearful. It's evening, and they're doing what they're doing, and it's dark, and all of a sudden these angels appear to them, and they're understandably fearful. And, and I'll say this, to my knowledge, I have never seen an angel, unless he was disguising himself and kind of veiling you know, his, his magnificence. But I have to say, you know, to put this in a modern-day context, I don't know if anyone here in the room or anyone joining us on our live stream has ever worked overnight security. But whenever I talk to some of my friends that, that work overnight jobs or overnight security in particular, I often think, what would I do if I was somebody who is, say, working an overnight security job? Some of you in the room have overnight shifts. I already know that you do that. Um, what would I do if I, if I had an overnight security job and during the midst of my shift, 
an angel showed up and began speaking to me. Would you or would you not be terrified if something like that happened? And anyone in the room or anyone who types in the comment section that you would not be fearful, you are straight up lying, right? You are straight up lying. I have to tell you, I joke about this, but those of you that are in this room right now can see, if you actually look on this wall here, there's a series of nightlights, and I'm the one that put those there. Because there's a lot of times, so my office is right here. And a lot of times if I'm working here late into the evening, the whole, I'm the only one here in the building. This building makes strange sounds when you're the only one in it. And, uh, and I'll walk out of my office where I've had the lights on in there, but the rest of the building is all shut down and dark. And for the longest time, I would crash right into those front chairs as I was walking out here, and it was driving me nuts. I thought, I need to get some sort of light to kind of illuminate my path here. Uh, and so I put those lights in as I'm walking to the back of the building, but it's dark. And so many nights when I'm working here, and I'm the only one here, and if I'm working here particularly late, I think to myself, what if I ever have an experience like that? Now, I don't expect to have an experience like that, but I can tell you that if I did have an experience like that, my hair that's taking its time to finish its whitening, it would finish it in one night. I know that I would be terrified if that happens. And this is how I know I'd be terrified. Because every example of angels appearing to people throughout the Bible, including these people that we consider these amazingly holy people, right? The first thing they say every time is what? It's some form of what the angels say here. Don't be afraid or fear not or something like that. They always have to tell people, fear not. Well, why do they have to say fear not? Well, one of my favorite examples of that is in the book of Daniel, where Daniel, and there's nothing in Scripture ever recorded bad about Daniel. It's like everything he did in Scripture was good. And I think to myself, could this guy be that good? He was a really good guy. And what happened when an angel appeared to him? He passed out. He passed out. So, if you ever find me passed out here at the church... Please just assume that I'm not being lazy. Please assume that an angel appeared to me and um, I'm just reacting accordingly, like Daniel did, right? But you look at that, and the angels here, they appear to the shepherds, and they have to tell the shepherds, all right, guys, fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. I know it's, I know it's night. I know it's dark. And I know we're angels. And we're floating here in the sky right in front of you. And I know you haven't seen this sort of thing before. But don't be afraid, because I actually have some good, good news for you. But the shepherds, initially, their response was fear, right? It turns to joy, but at first it's fear. And they see the angels, the angels assure them they don't need to be afraid. And I see two reasons in particular why they did not need to be afraid, and I want to share both of them with us real quick. Number one, the angels reveal that, that their reason for appearing to them is to deliver a message, not to destroy them. So they're saying, all right, we have news to tell you. We're not here to destroy you. We're not here to bring you harm. We have news that's good for you. So you don't need to be afraid, reason one. And second reason they didn't need to be afraid was this. Christ the Lord was born that day. Christ the Lord was born. The one who was going to ultimately take our fears upon himself. Jesus is the cure for our separation issues because in him... We are reconciled to God. Jesus is the cure for our fear of death. Because in Him we find abundant life and everlasting life. Because of who He is, 
Because of what Jesus has accomplished for us, we don't need to be consumed by fear any longer. Because the worst that this world can throw at you or me is separation of some kind or death. But through Christ, I know that both have already been conquered. And his victory is a victory that he shared with me. His victory is a victory he shares with you. In Christ, we don't need to be consumed with fear because he's already taken our fears and he's done something with it. One other thing that I want to point out to us this evening is this. These are useful things to know and they're helpful things to know in the relational level and the spiritual level. But will we also treasure these truths in our heart? I love what it tells us here when you look at verses 19 and 20 of Luke chapter 2. And I just want us to be encouraged to do the very thing that we see being done in this passage. Will we also treasure these things in our hearts? Look at what it says in verse 19 and 20. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things. Isn't that a great line there? But Mary treasured up all these things. I'll read it again. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now again, keep in mind, Joseph and Mary, they were not well off. They were not impressive socialites with high pedigrees and a trust fund that could monetize their every whim. That was not the kind of life they were born into. They were young, simple people of extremely humble means. And yet to this couple, the Messiah was born. And they didn't know all the details of what God was about to do, but they did know this that they could trust God for the things that they had not yet seen. And they also knew that they could rejoice over what the Lord was in process uh, of showing them. He was already in the process of showing them things, and they they were recognizing that they could rejoice over that. And as Christ was born, and as you have the shepherds now coming to see Mary and Joseph and the baby, we're told that Mary treasured everything that was taking place. You ever take like a snapshot of a moment in your mind? You know, before we had cell phones in our pockets where we could literally capture every moment, we just had to trust our mind to kind of hold on to those moments. And do you ever do that? You know, just in a moment, you you just take something in in your mind, or you take something in in your heart, and you just treasure it up. And you have Mary doing that very thing. She treasured this miraculous birth. She treasured what was taking place. She treasured this enthusiastic visit from the shepherds. She treasured their retelling of what the angels had told them. Don't you think this would be such amazing news for her to hear and for Joseph to hear? His whole experience was an amazing blessing to all humanity, and Mary couldn't help but ponder what the Lord was doing right there in her midst and why she had been chosen and why Joseph had been chosen to participate in this miraculous event. Just thinking, why us? Why would God choose us? to be part of this sort of thing. She's treasuring it. She's amazed by it. Well, I think we also have the privilege to treasure these sort of amazing things as well. So I want want to just leave us tonight with a few quick things to think about as we finish up. And And I selected a few biblical truths that I think should be things that we all learn to treasure in our hearts. And I think these are things that start to truly matter to anyone who recognizes who Jesus Christ is and then decides to welcome him to be Lord of their life. Because there's two ways you can respond to Jesus, even before I I share these words of encouragement. You can know all about him. There are lots of people that even this evening throughout the world will hear all about him. And it's one thing to know all about him, 
but it's another thing to know him as your friend, as your Savior, as your Lord, in a personal way, recognizing that he's present with you right now, recognizing that he's guiding and directing the steps that you take, recognizing that he's empowering you to do the things that you're called to do, recognizing that, he, that ultimately he remedies the things that, that Adam had ultimately messed up on our behalf. Christ is the remedy. Christ is the solution. And he ultimately brings peace to any heart who will trust in him. So let me finish this up by sharing three brief things, and I'll bring them up on the screen so that you can see them with me. The first is from Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And I hope this encourages your heart because it encourages mine. It says in Colossians 3, 15, it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So that portion of Scripture reminds us that the peace of Christ can govern our hearts. We live, you, you know, I mean, do you ever try and predict the future and discover how little you can do it? I mean, how many of you thought this year would look like it looks? None of us. How many of you are already trying to predict what this next year is going to look like? And how many of us have to admit to ourselves right now, we will absolutely be wrong. We have no idea. So you know what happens to me when I can't predict things? I get a little antsy. I get a little anxious. And I have to come back to a portion of Scripture like this that reminds me that the peace of Christ can rule in my heart. My desire to control things that are outside of my control is not where I need to find my sense of peace. I can find my sense of peace through Jesus Christ, and His peace can rule my heart no matter what takes place culturally, no matter what takes place in my day-to-day life. All the things I can't control, I can't find my peace in my circumstances. They change too frequently. But I can find peace through Jesus Christ who does not change. And His peace can rule our hearts. And we were called to be one body as, as his church. We're called to be one body, to be united in him and to be thankful. So we could be thankful for the peace of Christ. We could be thankful for the person of Christ. Second reminder is this. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus makes this statement. And I hope your heart will latch on to this. Those of you joining us on the live stream, those of us here in person, please think about these verses, particularly if your heart has felt heavy in recent days. Jesus says this. This is his promise to us. This is his invitation to us to come unto him. He says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Please notice you will find rest for your souls. In Jesus Christ, that's where the rest for your soul is going to be found. And if at this point, up to this point, you've been trying to find rest for your soul in something else, I'd encourage you to wash your hands of whatever else you've been trying to find that rest through because it's going to let you down. But through Jesus Christ, your soul will find rest. And he offers himself to us and he says, come to me. He's pleading with us, come to him. Don't just know him at a distance. Know him in a real way through faith. One last thing that I want to share with us, and it's from Psalm 40, verse 17, and that scripture says this. The psalmist says, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That the Lord over all creation takes thought for you, that the Lord who spoke creation into existence knows your name and actually cares for your individual life, that he takes thought for you and that he's willing to be your help and that he's willing to be your deliverer 
And I love how the psalmist here says, do not delay, basically saying, Lord, hurry up and accomplish what only you can accomplish. And I want to tell you this, even as we finish up this evening, it's not the Lord's desire to delay. If you seek that help from Jesus Christ, that help will be yours in that instant, not just eventually, but in that moment as he offers himself to us. So it matters that Jesus came to this earth because it's through him that we find peace. It's through him that we find joy. It's through him that we find the rest that our souls ultimately crave. In just a moment, we're going to finish our time together lighting candles. And uh, at this point, I'll invite our musicians to come and join me on stage. While they're coming, I'm going to have a word of prayer for us. And then what we're going to do is uh, we're going to stand in just a few moments, and I'll tell us when to do so. But I'll bring around the light from this candle up front here, and I'll bring it to this section, and I'll bring it to this section, then I'll bring it over to this section. And those of you that are in the front row, I'll light your candles and then pass the light to the people behind you. And the significance of why we do this is because Jesus Christ is the light of salvation, the light who came into this world. And so it's a tradition that we've done for many, many Christmases as we light candles on Christmas Eve, celebrating the light of salvation that came into this world, Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us, and then we'll light our candles together, and then we'll sing as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to look at your word together this evening. We're grateful for what you've revealed to us in it. We're grateful for the fact that you came to this earth, you took on flesh, you walked among us, you bore our burdens, you died on the cross, you rose from the grave, you ascended back to heaven, and you tell us that you're coming again. So Lord, we're grateful for that. We're grateful that the light of salvation, you, Lord Jesus, came into this world Lord, you know the state of our hearts. Every one of us gathered together in this room, everyone participating in our live stream, you know, you know what's going on in our hearts. You know that if we're, we're distant from you, if that's the case, you know if we're close to you. But Lord, we pray that tonight would be a night where we reflect on the fact that we have the privilege to truly be close to you as we trust in you. So Lord, even as we look at these lights, as the light is passed around, we pray that we would be thinking about you. We pray that as we sing, that we wouldn't just be singing about you, but we would be singing to you. We pray that we would rejoice in your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your blessings. And thank you for the privilege to ultimately celebrate your birth this evening. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.